I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, welcome back to Live Mike on KSL News Radio. I'm Jason Perry with the Hinkley Institute of Politics, joined by... I'm Morgan Lyon-Cotty. I'm also with the Hinkley Institute. Well, Morgan, such an interesting program today. So many interesting guests, interesting uh, commentary. And we're going to get right into a couple more uh, important items, particularly when it comes to the vaccine rollout. But for those of you who are listening, we do want to hear from you. If you've got some questions, you've got some comments, please just text them to us through the Utah Community Credit text line, text 57500. We'd love to hear from you. Particularly if you have some thoughts with these very interesting guests who are coming on some topics, Morgan, that are not easy at all to discuss. They aren't. And these are the experts. And part of the reason we ask them to come on the show is not just because they are experts in their fields, but they also know how to talk about this stuff and make it interesting and easy to understand for the rest of us who aren't experts. Well, no pressure on our next guest after that, Morgan. Uh, Dr. Kavish Chowdhury, uh, who, who I've had a chance to work with so closely, he's the Senior Director of Inpatient Infusion Pharmacy Services at the University of Utah Hospitals and Clinics. Dr. Chowdhury, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jason. Well, it's always so good talking to you, and uh, not a lot of people know just how much you are doing in the University of Utah, but even as we're broadcasting from the University of Utah today, I think we've got to talk about the the key role our institution has played, and you and, you and the team in particular, when it comes to the vaccine rollout in the state of Utah. So many people talking about it, and, and Dr., uh, Dr. Chowdhury, thank you so much for what you're doing there. Do you mind taking us through a moment what has gone into the process of getting the vaccines out here in the state? Yeah, uh, it's been a pretty fascinating process, to be honest. It's uh, There's so much uncertainty going into when the vaccine is going to be rolling out, when it would be approved, when we'd be receiving it. So it's been um, kind of planning a number of contingencies. So we've been communicating with the state and the CDC about when we expect the vaccine to arrive, what product we might be getting, because you may recall there's two different vaccines that are out there, uh, one that requires uh, ultra-cold storage. And um, in talking with the state, they recognize that the University of Utah had the ability to take on that vaccine. So They've asked us to kind of take on a larger amount of that one, knowing that the uh, the other product, the Moderna product, can go to the uh, nursing homes and other facilities. So recognizing that the vaccine was, you know, planning on approval when it's going to come out, uh, work in their context, both the ASIP as well as CDC, uh, we planned on kind of guessed that it would be coming out last week, and we were right. Uh, but at the university, space is a commodity, and uh, you've been up on campus quite a bit, and you recognize that trying to find space to run a large appropriately safe socially distanced vaccine clinic can be quite challenging. Um, and we've got a number of moving parts here because we've had to tear apart a number of locations to take on additional COVID capacity, whether it be for inpatient areas or even our clinics. So we got pretty creative um, knowing that uh, we last week at the vaccine coming in for us, uh, we had a number of moving parts in regards to the facilities in general. Uh, but we were fortunate since we've seen a, a nice plateau in regards to our overall number of cases and our testing, uh, we had a spare tent, um, and not the most ideal location to run a vaccine clinic, but we quickly had a tent ready to go, um, and that's where we ran our clinic last week. Fortunately, over the weekend, we had a, a clinic vacate on, on campus into a new location, and we, you know, our facilities crew did an incredible job of getting the space ready over the weekend in three days, um, so we now moved into a large, spacious location that has about, um, can accommodate 15 vaccines at a time. 
Um, so we moved into that on Monday morning, and I've been cranking out vaccines ever since. Um, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, like, tell us the amount of vaccines that are coming through, because 15 at a time. About how many people are we getting through this every day? Um, so as of uh, last night, we had done about 5,200 uh, patients in about four days. So we received some vaccine last Tuesday morning. Uh, we did about 75 that day just to kind of figure it out because the vaccine's a bit challenging to, to manipulate and, and prepare. Uh, and then on Wednesday, um, we did a, a very targeted clinic, and the, the, our most impacted areas are medical intensive care unit and our ED. And then by last Thursday, we were opening up in the, uh, in the tent uh, so last Thursday, we did about 1,100. Last Friday, we did about 1,400. And then, uh, again, this Monday, we did about 1,000 in the, the new space. And then last night, we did about 1,400. So we've been we've been cranking them through. So I have to tell you, like, this is so fun for my imagination because so much of the just visually what we've seen over the last 10 months with tents, it's testing. And it's so fun to just think about those tents being used for vaccines, and it's so hopeful. Um, I'm wondering for people who maybe aren't in the ICU, they're not those medical providers, um, when can they expect to start getting those notifications? You know, we all have educators, we all have, you know, people that work in home health or other things in their, in their families, or maybe I'm just talking about my own family. Um, so when can they expect to start getting their vaccines? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, in working with the state right now, we're going off of the state and the federal guidance for the, the vaccine. So the priority right now goes to healthcare workers. Um, and the way the priorities come out right now, the phase 1A is are, are the uh, employees or workers that are working directly with the COVID positive patient population in those infected areas or impacted areas. Um, the rest of the healthcare worker workforce, we should be able to get done by, I'd say some, their second dose done by the end of February. Um, in the communication with the state and the CDC, we'd expect for the general population, and I, let me rephrase that, uh, for the state and the CDC, we expect that more high-risk populations start getting vaccine rolled out to them sometime in late January, best case scenario, but more likely looking at February. And then that continue rolling out by phase by phase for the high-risk populations throughout the rest of the uh, spring and into the summer. Hey, Dr. Chowdhury, one of the questions that comes up in our, in our last 30 seconds here is how, how rigid is this schedule? Because, you know, we, we have the phases, right? And no, no one jumps in line, right? This is pretty that well is controlled. That is correct. We are not having anybody jump in line. So I, as we've given our 5,000 vaccine, it's gone all to healthcare workers. Uh, we've got tiers in place at the university that we've been sticking to. Um, we're trying to target those specific areas as we had initially 3,000 people in our first major wave that we got done. And I'd say at the last night, we had about 2,500 of those people done already. Oh, wow. You're just doing such great work. Yeah, you're, of course, a legend on, on campus, Dr. Chowdhury. Thank you so much for helping with this and pass on our best to the team also. Thanks so much, Jason. Okay, thanks for being always. with us. And, th- and thanks for joining us today on Live Mike. We're going from vaccine distribution to sports. And there are some connections. Stay tuned. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? 
in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.